Welcome to the Faith Heights Church audio podcast. We pray that this message will bless you and feed your faith as you listen in today. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we move forward tonight in your word, we're asking for direction. We could say a thousand good things tonight, or we could say a few powerful, life-changing things tonight. Let it be the latter. Let it be the powerful, life-saving things that come forth in the next few minutes, Father. We're asking for your help. We're asking for utterance. We're asking for ears to hear. We're asking that the anointing of God to preach and teach your word would come forth strong right now. Help us, Father, in these next few minutes to get exactly what we need to get in Jesus' name. Thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 14. Um, you know, actually, I, I, I didn't write this one down. I just, I forgot. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10. I'm sorry, Proverbs 10, and then we'll go to Romans 14. Proverbs chapter 10. And you know, I titled this series, and, and it may change, I don't know. I, I don't know if people totally understand what I'm saying. But this scripture talks about God wanting us well off. It's a big deal to our Father that we not suffer and trudge through life, barely making it, barely getting along. And not only that, he wants us happy at the same time. There was a guy a while back named Peter Daniels. He wrote a book. Call, he, he was leaning on his Rolls Royce on the picture on the book, uh, and it said, happy though rich. Because a lot of times when people increase in riches, um, a lot of other pressures come with it. A lot of other baggage comes with it because if you don't get it God's way, you have no guarantee of a bunch of junk attached to the riches that come. And if you don't get it God's way, I mean... There's all kinds of potential for... I mean, let's face it, money can magnify good or bad. And so I thought it was an inter- interesting title, Happy Though Rich, because there's a lot of rich people that are not happy. God like us to be both. For one thing, the more we got, the more we can give. The more we can un- lift burdens off of other people, support other ministries, help the poor. So when you hear the word rich, don't just think about what that does for you. Think about what kind of a vessel you could be pouring out on others. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. If you really, really, really want to be super happy, be, be believing God to give more because it's even more blessed to give than receive. I mean, just recently, again, I had the privilege of giving something away. And I just tell you, the joy of it, it's like what I handed away, I got more joy from handing it away than somebody giving it to me. There's nothing like making somebody happy with the ability that God's given you. And this scripture says in verse 22, it says, the blessing of the Lord, what does it do? What does it do? It makes rich. And he, with the blessing, adds no sorrow with it. Why would you even say that? Because when riches do increase in some people's life, a lot of sorrow is attached to it. Maybe because the way they got it, maybe because of what they sacrificed in the process, maybe because of what they gave up to get it. Sometimes people, you know, sacrifice family for riches. 
spend more time working, more time on the job, and let the pressures build up, then temptation comes in, devil hits them when they're weak, and bam, things happen, affairs and all kinds of stuff. They got the money, but they don't got kids anymore. They don't got a wife anymore, a husband anymore. And so when riches increase, you can do a lot more stuff, good or bad. How many of you realize when riches increase, your flesh likes that? Right? The flesh is going to go, hey, I want some of that. I want some of that money. Come on, I want a second boat. I want all those other things. I want this, I want that. And again, nothing wrong with having nice things, but there is something wrong with not being able to handle it when they do come into your life. And last week we talked about, can you handle it? Can God trust you with more? Because just because it's okay to be rich, just because it's the will of God, doesn't mean we're mature enough to handle it. Because when you get a lot of money, you can do whatever you want. And if you don't have power over your own will... You could die young. I mean, seriously, you, you could get in a mess. Because if you've got more money than you have integrity, look out. Those old demons that used to come around and help, you know, tempt you with the drugs and the alcohol and the loose living and all this other stuff, they know when you get money too. Hmm? And we talked a lot about that last week, about how God will be able to release more of our inheritance into our life when we're grown out of the childish stage of, of Christianity or spiritual growth. What does it say in, in Galatians 4? It says, the heir, H-E-I-R, one that has an inheritance coming to him, the heir, as long as he's childish, he's going to be treated no different than a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under uh, governors and tutors until the time appointed of the father. There's a time appointed of the father where he can release more of the inheritance Jesus purchased for us in our lives because he knows we can handle it. It won't pull us away from him. We won't love the blessing more than the blesser. You know what I'm talking about? And so just constantly, and I asked you to do your homework last week, and that was to ask yourself constantly throughout the week in prayer, um, can God trust me with a lot more money? Does he know that I'll still f stay faithful to him? Does he know I'll still keep serving my part in the body of Christ? Does he know I won't veer off and get into craziness? Does he know? Because if, if he sees, if he knows our future is going to be messed up with increase, he probably ain't going to be real excited about bringing a ton of increase your way. Right? Until he knows it's not going to do anything to you that, you know, he's not going to pull you away from the things of God, not going to pull you away from putting him first. And so, happy and rich. So I want you to look at Romans 13. This is going to be a little interesting tonight. And I'm going to teach it kind of slow, and I'm not going to go real long. We're going to close at 8, because we have a Christmas Eve service uh, tomorrow. But if you would look, please, at Romans chapter 14. And I want you to look here. And I, I'm going to share something that I thought would be a good title for this sub message, but I don't think I want it that way because Carla kind of convinced me that if somebody saw that, they might say, I don't know if I want to go to that church. Because it's, it's kind of a play on words. And I, I, wanna, I know what some people think when I say this, and it's not what I mean. So in Romans 14, 23, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says to us, he that doubts is condemned if he eat. Now, that's not the part I want to focus on. Notice the next part of the verse. Because he eats not of faith. For whatever, not just foods now and things, whatever, whatever 
Whatever is not of faith is sin. Interesting. This isn't what a lot of people would think sin was. Well, I'm trying to believe. <laughs> Newsflash. If you can and you're not, you need to. <laughs> if you can believe and we're not believing, to us it's sin. It's a sin to not believe when you know better. I know that's strong, but you know what? The Bible says that in the wilderness, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and headed to the promised land, it said that they all, were, so many of them were destroyed, it said because of their unbelief. And that verse right around it says it's because they sinned. Unbelief is a sin when you know better. I mean, we haven't taken this, there, are, there is such a thing as violations of faith that really need to be repented of. If we know to believe and we're not, that's serious stuff. If we know to believe God and we choose not to believe God, that's not, that's not a good thing. And this scripture says, whatever, whatever is done not in faith is sin. We're missing it. There, there's something that's not going to come to its full potential. Something's not going to be right. Even if something we're doing is right, if we're not doing it from faith or we're not doing it in faith, then we're still not going to see the full blessing and we're going to miss the mark that we're hoping to reach. So I got to thinking here, um, let's think about tithing for a second because tithing has a lot to do with the blessing of the Lord making us rich. He gives us the amazing opportunity to enter into this covenant relationship with him that includes this heart of love for God that produces tithing in our lives. And so I, here's what I thought about titling this and you all know where I'm coming from because you know me but new people you, you need to just hear me out here don't don't turn off the live stream or w whatever you're listening to this on but here here's something I wanted to say why doesn't tithing work it's supposed to but why isn't it for a lot of people who are giving 10 percent See, I'm not saying tithing doesn't work, and I'll tell you why. No, no, no. Tithing's supposed to work. Why doesn't, why, why doesn't tithing work for some people, though they're putting 10% into the offering? Now, now can, I, can we just be honest here tonight? Because, right, let's just be honest. How many of you are 100% satisfied, and you're seeing in your life, in manifestation, windows of heaven opened upon you, such a blessing poured out that you don't have enough room to receive it. I guess I could say, how many of you got any more room for more blessings? Anybody got room? Are you already overflowing like, Lord, stop. I've got plenty enough. Just, you know. Well, I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves, there's probably room in all of our lives to see more of windows of heaven opened upon me, such a blessing poured out that I don't have enough room to receive it. That means one bank account's not enough because they only federally assure 250000 i got to get my money in some other accounts or get some family members here or something to help me out with this because they're only federally insuring 250000 in my bank account. That's, that's, don't have enough room to receive it. And then, you know, I mean, cupboards, car, garage, whatever, right? Like, like you, heard, you heard the one, <laughs> the, the one a little cartoon meme, I think it was, it said, um, you know you're rich when you have to build a house with a seven-car garage because your last one only held five. 
you know, blessing so much that you don't have enough room to contain it. I mean, he talks about the, the devourer being rebuked. He talks about us being a delightsome land. It talks about everybody around us calling us blessed. I mean, how many people this week called you blessed? Man, are you blessed? Man, are you blessed? You know, and these things, the Bible says these things are the result of tithing. But tithing must be more than returning 10% of our income in an offering. It has to be more. There, there must be something that, that's going on behind the scenes that we can't see with these eyes because everything in front of the scenes says, hey, they qualify. Well, do they? Is all that tithing, uh, is everything that sums up tithing, is it, is it seen in the natural? Or is there something else going on in the spiritual that needs to be where it's supposed to be also? And, you know, I, I think it was Sunday, we talked about looking to the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things. I've been asking the Lord specifically, I said, Lord, I want to know more about the spiritual part of tithing. I want to know more about the heart of tithing. I want to know more about what you see. Now, we see the buckets, we see the tithe checks, we see the offerings, we see the check register, we see the budgeting. What do you see when it comes to tithing? I mean, we need to be right in that area too. Uh, so let's, let's read this scripture one more time. We'll go to another one. It says, whatever is not of faith is sin. So, and, and when you think of the word sin, you think, oh, is that, that dirty sinner? No, sometimes sin is just missing the full mark. Sometimes sin is just not quite getting where you want it to get or things not working quite like they're supposed to work. It, it, really, the word sin means you shoot an arrow and you miss the mark. I think some people are missing the mark in tithing because they're not conscious of a release of faith when they do it. So I've been persecuted probably more for long offerings, so-called, which I don't think they're long. I think they're, you get an extra mini-sermon for the same amount of time, right? Um, but I've probably been persecuted more for preaching on offerings and talking about offerings than anything else. And... And what people fail to realize is this. I want you doing it right. And sometimes we need to hear a little word before we just plop another 10% in the bucket. Make sure our insides are right. Make sure we're doing it in faith. Make sure we haven't unconsciously slipped just into duty. Stir ourselves up. What are we doing here? Who are we giving to? What's this all about? This needs to be fresh every time we give. Thank God for preachers who help take a little time, get us built up in faith before we do this act of tithing so that it actually works right. So that we actually have faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we're going to tithe in faith, we better hear some word about it when we do it. Right? So you can, you can tithe for all kinds of reasons. You can tithe with all kinds of motives. I look at it like this. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can give everything you have to the poor. All your money, all your assets, liquidate everything. You can give everything you have to the poor. And you can even say, here's my body. You can burn it too. If you don't do that in love, it profits you nothing. Man, I figured if you can give everything you've got not from love for some other reason or motive, then you can tithe and not have the motive of faith and not have faith connected with it. 
If you could do these things and not have love, you could probably do these things and not have faith. Or not be believing what you should be believing for it to not only profit the one you gave to, but yourself. So I had to ask myself, I said, Lord, what? And so the Lord quickened me with this. He said, um, basically, in this, this many words, what can't take the place of why you're doing what you're doing? It's not just, what should I do, Lord? It's also, Lord, how do I do this right? How do I do this and be pleasing in your sight? You're, he's looking at the invisible. God looks at the heart. Man sees, man sees the outward, but God looks at the heart. There is a heart of tithing, and I think this is something we need to talk about because I don't think tithing is working 100% for a lot of the people that I know, including myself, and I want it to. Anybody want to dig into this with me? Now, one thing I'll say about why tithing doesn't work, and it's supposed to, but why it doesn't work for some people, or fully work, is because tithing is a ingredient to success. Tithing is a ingredient to prospering. It is not the only ingredient. I mean, there's other scriptures you have to dig around and find out what, what else does the Bible say. It's kind of like, um, okay, well, 2 Peter 1.10 says this. 2 Peter 1.10 says, if you do these things, uh, you will never fail. If you do these, plural, things, plural, you will never fail. He talked about adding to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, so on and so forth. If you do these things, uh, You'll never fail. So how many of you ladies, our guys, are baking anything this year? Any cookies, any bread, any, any candy, any, anything? Anybody baking some? Uh, my guess, and I could be totally wrong, but my guess is you probably, when you're baking, whatever you're baking, there's probably more than one ingredient. Is there? You, I, let's just throw a bunch of sugar on there and heat it up, and now you got what? Caramel. Caramel. But if you want something really good that a lot of people really like, you probably want to have a few more ingredients. Well, tithing is a ingredient to successful Christian living. It's a ingredient. It's kind of like, I guess the analogy is like uh, trying to fill up a bathtub with water. There's a couple other things other than turning the water on that's going to fill that bathtub up with water. Right? Number one, plug the drain, right? Because if it's coming in and going out at the same time, it may never get full. So we'll just, just pour the water in the tub and everything will be great. It'll fill up to the top. Not necessarily so. Or you could start filling up with water and then somebody comes in and starts scooping water out as fast as it's going in. Some, some stranger or something, right? Just start scooping all the water out. Well, you can't have that either. And thank God that's where rebuking the devourer comes in. God keeps that stuff away. But tithing has to be done with the right heart. Because really, tithing is really more about the heart than the money. So let's look at something else here. Um, let's go to Genesis 14. And um, actually, let me see here. Before we, um, before we read that, 
I want to, I'm going to read you something I put on my notes here about tithing and, and kind of getting it, getting it straight maybe in our minds. Now, now, tithing in the New Testament especially, tithing, it brings things into our life if we do it right, but that's not really what it's about. It's like tithing is not a formula and a means to be rich. It's actually a result of doing something else. It's like tithing is not like, it, I found the formula. No, no, no. Tithing is something that will come out of us after something else happens. And that will come out right. And then it will, will work for us like it's supposed to. Our hearts have to be in line, not just our pocketbooks. Um, and so I said this, tithing by faith, now, now this is a very interesting statement. Tithing by faith causes what already belongs to us to appear. We're really not supposed to be trying to get something through tithing. Did Jesus bless us with all spiritual blessings? The Bible says we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The Bible says all things that pertain unto life and godliness have already been given to us. Right? Christ has already redeemed us from the curse of the law. So why, why do we need to tithe? Well, you don't have to, but it can be an act of faith that will release what God's already done for you into your life. I look at it like this. And this sounds a little strange, but I'll say this again later. I say we focus on the blessings of God so much that we already have until we want to tithe, not feel like we have to to get something. It's interesting, but if we'll tithe for the right reasons, we'll see the blessings of the tithe come into our life. Tithing to get something is not the right motive. It happens, it comes, but that can never be the number one reason why we're doing it. Love has got to be the number one reason why we're doing these things. And you can't fake that. And so what I want to talk to you now, and I have, I've mentioned this a few times here and there, but I wanted to take a few minutes and just dig into this. Go to Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to make a statement. I've made this statement before. Um, but I haven't really dug into it like I feel like we need to. Because really, when it comes to being successful, when it comes to rising up, tithing is a part of the equation. It's a part of the ingredients that will cause the cake to rise. It, it's, it's part of it. And doing it right, doing it with the right heart, is also a part of the ingredients that need to be there. So in Genesis 14, I'd like you to start in verse 17, and they'll put it up on the screen here. Genesis 14 and verse 17. This is like the first place in the Bible tithing is mentioned. And it says in verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham after the return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shiva, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him. 
This is Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, blessing Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave priest Melchizedek tithes of all. All right, so a few things is going on here. One of the most important things I want you to see here is that Abraham met Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was like the representative of God in the earth realm at this time. Matter of fact, um, he's likened unto Jesus in the book of Hebrews. We'll go there in just a minute. So Melchizedek is just like, if, if not Jesus himself, so like him that even Paul wasn't sure. I think he knew in his heart, trying to show the Hebrew Christians that, you know, Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. And, and the, the similarities between Melchizedek and Jesus are amazing. Some people think it was Jesus manifested in the Old Testament. Um, but I'm not saying yes or no. I mean, these are some things hard to be understood, hard to utter, because it takes a lot of digging in this area. But... Melchizedek is a representative of God in the earth realm. And it said he came to bless Abraham after Abraham and his family and his small team of soldiers in his family, you know, saved basically Lot's life. And so Abraham gave Melchizedek, the representative of God in the earth realm, tithes of all. First mention of tithing in the Old Testament. Two things I want you to see here. Number one. Abraham basically met God by meeting a very mysterious representative of God in the earth realm. And I thought it was interesting right here in um, verse 20, it just says, And Abraham, he gave him tithes of all. And Hebrews will show that's, that's what happened here even more clearly. So interesting thought here. Who told Abraham to tithe? I mean, who, who said, Abraham, you need to tithe? Who told him to do that? Why, why did he do it? Why did Abraham do this? He could have done a, a, a thousand and one things. He could have danced. He could have ran. He could have shouted, glory, glory, glory. He could have got on his face. He could have prayed. He could have sang a song. Why tithe? Now think about this. Melchizedek meets Abraham, pronounces this amazing blessing on his life, and Abraham just gave him tithes of all. 10% of all of his increase. Where was it written that he was supposed to do that? Who told him he had to do that? And why did he do that? Here's the thing I think we need to talk about and think about. Abraham met God and he wanted to tithe. He had a true encounter with God by having a true encounter with Melchizedek, which, like I said, is so similar to Jesus. You'll see that in the book of Hebrews. He meets God, and the first thing that comes out of him is here. 
Here's 10%. Where'd that come from? Meet God and you'll know. Meet God like Abraham met God and you'll know. Hmm? You see, this is interesting. Now turn to Hebrews because we need to show you this before the time runs out. Turn to the book of Hebrews, New Testament. And that Abraham did this 400 years before Moses brought the law down from Mount Sinai to the people, to the children of Israel. You know, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that talked about tithing and all the other offerings and all kinds of, all kinds of laws. Abraham tithed 400 years before there was any law saying, the tithe is mine, is holy unto me, saith the Lord. 400 years before that word. Why is he doing it? There's no law. There's no word that we know of. We have no scripture that says God told him to do this or there was a written word to do this. Why did Abraham tithe? See, people that say tithing is Old Testament, it's under the law, they need to read their Bible. This was 400 years before the law. The Mosaic law, you know, all the rituals and, right, and all the things the Lord told him to do. So, again, you, you can't say that tithing is, is it's a law thing. It's, it's a, it wasn't law here. I submit unto you, it was a love thing. It really doesn't work to try to make people tithe if they really don't love the Lord in, uh, in this area to, to do it. Because even if they do it, it won't work 100% for them because they're doing because somebody told them to or they're afraid something bad's going to happen if they don't. And that's not what we want in Faith Heights Church. Meet God and you'll want to tithe. That's all I, that, that's one of the main things I got out of this verse. Now look, in Hebrews chapter 5, and go ahead and just, you can go ahead and read verse 10 and 11. It says, called of God, talking about Jesus, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11. Now, concerning Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. And then he starts talking about, you know, while you still need somebody else to teach you, you're still needing the milk of the word, somebody to teach you. And basically saying, you need to be growing up spiritually. He's saying this, 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 the scriptures about Melchizedek are a little meaty. Hard to be uttered, especially in the presence of people that might choke on them. There's a lot of people that choke on tithing. We think it's this basic, simple principle, but really, when you start digging into it, tithing is about some very holy communion with the Lord. I, I personally, you can quote me if you want, I don't care, but you don't have to, but personally... I don't believe the problem is refusal to tithe in the church or in a, a person's life. I don't believe the problem is refusal to tithe. I believe the problem is not wanting to tithe. Big difference. So really, we shouldn't hit it from the angle, come on now, you need to tithe. No, no, we need to get people to a place like Abraham. They meet God and something inside of them says, Lord, here. 
this is yours. This is yours. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for you. There'd be no air if it wasn't for you, right? So he's talking about Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews, and we know from the Old Testament that Melchizedek is the one whom Abraham tithed to, the representative of God in the earth realm. So now bounce up to um, Hebrews 7. And by the way, the phrase, Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, that exact phrase is spoken six times in three chapters, five, six, and seven. Why does he keep saying Jesus after the order of Melchizedek? Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. High priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Why does he keep saying that? One of the reasons I believe the Holy Spirit is saying that over and over again is because like Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, Jesus is still in the tithe-receiving business today, like Melchizedek in Abraham's day. And this is where it gets a little meaty. Sometimes it's hard to utter these things. Sometimes people go, ah, because it's a little deep. And, you know, when you start talking about money and you start talking about giving money and returning money and giving money, people are like, whoa, whoa, I'm not going to tell me what to do with my money. And nobody is. We're showing you what we're showing what people we're showing you what people willingly wanted to do with nobody telling them to do it. I think it's just interesting in reading, let alone practicing it. So in, in 7, chapter 7, verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, meet God, and what? You want to tithe. Okay, so he met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth Part of all to Melchizedek, first by interpretation, king of righteousness. After that, also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Who is this guy? Sounds like a lot of the same names ascribed to Jesus. King of peace? King of righteous, king of righteousness? Who's the king of righteousness? Without father, verse 3, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abides a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. For verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, now he's talking about the Mosaic law, they have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. This person was greater than Abraham. The less is blessed of the better, the greater. Saying Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. All right, you following? Now look at verse 8. Here, in the earth realm, here, men that die receive tithes. But there, no, wait, there, where's there? Well, you can't just be pointing back into Genesis because this person's still alive. 
Here, men that die receive tithes. Something else is also going on in the invisible world. There, he's receiving them. Of whom it's witnessed, he's alive. <laughs> this is like 4,000 years later when Paul wrote this, from when Abraham, when Melchizedek was on the earth in Abraham's day. He's still alive 4,000 years later? Newsflash, still alive today. And still after the order of Melchizedek. And Jesus is still in the tithe receiving business. Think about it. Why do we tithe today? We don't have 50 scriptures in the New Testament that say you need to tithe. I think God wants us wanting to. I think he wants it to be more like an Abraham's day and Jacob's day. I think he wants us wanting to do this. It's almost like this secret thing between those who really know the Lord and the Lord. And if you're not close to God, you won't understand it. Are you following me? You may do it religiously, you may do it out of duty, but if you're not close to God, you're not really going to understand what tithing is. I'm going to say it again. I believe it's a love issue. I believe something happened in Abraham when he met God and he said, I want to tithe. Um, I, I need to show you one more scripture before we close. Just go to Genesis 28. Genesis 28. I wrote this down. Now, remember, this is a little meaty. Sometimes it's hard to utter. But if we have to constantly be told to tithe, we don't have a deep enough encounter with Jesus yet. If we have to constantly be told to tithe, we don't have a deep enough encounter with Jesus yet. So really, this whole message, you know what, I'm, you know what I believe the whole sum, sum total of this message is? Let's just get closer to God and do what we want to do. Hmm? Tithing is love for God in the form of wanting to support his work in the earth. Tithing is love for God in the form of wanting to support his church in the earth. And the church is his body. So look here at um, Genesis 28. Remember the phrase, meet God and you'll want to tithe. Doesn't that take it out of the zone of law and have to and you better or else? <laughs> I could just almost hear God say, if you don't want to, no sweat, man. But come a little closer to me. You might realize the real benefit here is not just what it does for the church, but what it does for your life. So in Genesis 28, and uh, verse 10, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went forward and went toward Haran, he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place, put them for his pillows and laid down in that place. And Jacob dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land wherein you lie to thee will I give it and to your seed and your seed shall be as the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south and in you all your seed and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jacob 
Jacob, behold, I'm with you and, and I will keep you in all the places where you go and I'll bring you again into this land for I'll not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. Jacob awoke out of his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. Interesting to think God could be in a certain place and you don't perceive it. Interesting. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He recognized there was a portal in this area from heaven to earth. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the same stone that he had put for pillows, set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Jacob vowed a vow. What's coming out of him? What's the, okay, what's happening here? He just met God. What's he vowing here? What, what's coming out of him now? What, what, what's this reaction? All right, he just met God. Did he just dance like crazy? Did he run faster than he's ever run? Did he dive off a high dive? Did he skip? Did he sing? Did he, what did he do? What's he about ready to vow? He just met God. What's the first reaction here? What's the first reaction here? He just met God. What's he about to vow? He said, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you shall give me, I will surely give a tenth unto you. So Jacob just said, here, I'll tie the rest of my life. Anything good that comes in my life is from the Lord. Even if I work with my hands to bring it, who gave me the muscle? Who gave me the air? Who gives me the water? Who gives me the food? David said in 1 Chronicles 29, everything is from you, Lord. So he meets God. What did, what did he vow to do? What's he doing here? He said, I'm, I'm going to give you tithes of all. Where'd that come from? If you can answer this question, and we can, you'll know why we still tithe in the New Testament, yet we don't have chapter after cha chapter telling us to or teaching us about it. We've got plenty in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, Testament never said it stopped, so who are we to say it stopped? But it's not a have to. See, our Christian walk, we're not just supposed to be doing what we have to. We need to be a little deeper in love with the Lord than that. I mean, when I met Carla, we fell in love. And, and we're not just doing for each other what we have to do. I know what she likes. She knows what I like. When you get into a relationship with somebody, it's no longer just about, oh, I guess I have to. I guess I better. You want to. And so this, these few scriptures right here, there's another one we won't go to. You can read it for your homework. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through like 10. Zacchaeus. The tax collector who was ripping people off? Remember him? It said he was rich. Heard Jesus was coming by. Ran up into a tree to see if he could see Jesus. He spotted him. And right then the Lord, out of a, who knows how many thousands, looked right at him and said, Zacchaeus, I'm eating lunch. I must eat lunch in your house today. Zacchaeus fell down of the tree, got out, got at the house already. Jesus came in. And Zacchaeus is like, Jesus! What happened? Zacchaeus just met the Lord face to face in his own house. This just comes out of him. Just boom. Jesus, I'm giving half of my goods to the poor. What? Where did that come from? He 
could have hugged his neck. He could have skipped and shouted. He could have called all his friends. Where'd that come from? He met the Lord. And he wanted to do something with his money that he wasn't doing before. And then he said, not only that, I'm a tax collector, you know. I'm going to restore fourfold to everybody I ripped off. And Jesus said to all crowd, he said, truly I say, this day salvation has come to his house. There's signs of salvation. I know when I first got saved, when I first got saved, nobody had to tell me to give. I wanted to give. I sold my guitars, my Marshall amplifiers, made in England. I sold equipment. I gave it to Pat Robertson. I gave it to the church I was going to. I gave it to the First Assembly. I, I, I just started giving. And nobody's, I might have heard a few little things here and there. And that's all I needed, man. I didn't need no 20-hour teaching. Bang, I'm a giver. You mean this will bless God if I do this? Oh, yeah, boom, you got it. I started liquidating. I never used to be like that. I was stingy. I was selfish before then. Where'd that come from? Meet God and a lot of things happen. And then it's done right. And then it works better. Because it's not just what we do. It's why are we doing it? How are we doing it? And this will make tithing work. If it's out of your love for God, you're not just trying to get rich. You will, but that's not your heart. I mean, it comes, but we're way beyond that. I'm doing this for a higher reason than I just want to be more successful. Guys, if it comes out of a relationship with Jesus, it comes out of love, you're doing it right. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information about this ministry, visit faithheights.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. To sow into this ministry, visit faithheights.org and click on the Donate tab. 